Hi, welcome back to the Manufacturing Come Up. I'm your host, Malachi Greb. Here at the Manufacturing Come Up, we talk about a ton of different things, but it's really evolved, revolved around the industry and your career within the industry, right? There's a ton of different ways to navigate your career, and every industry kind of has its own way to navigate its career, and especially like through engineering and, and through uh, manufacturing as a whole. There's so many uh minute details that can really help you throughout your career and, and just help you kind of make shifts and also just overall people's career advice uh, that people are giving. And, and some of these people are CEOs of, of big executive companies. Some are, uh, you know, solopreneurs. There's a ton of different individuals on this podcast who are here today, like Gail. Uh, Gail's running Gail now, and uh, she's doing some really cool things. She came from the... Um, the news space, right? Or, or should I say news? Uh, what's the right word for it? Um, uh, a journalist, right? She was a journalist and, and she's kind of taken her career and shifted it into PR and into the manufacturing space. So welcome to the show, Gail. Hey, there we are. Don't you love live? Live is always so fun because you just never know what's going to happen. How's it going, Gail? It is going great. Uh, you know, in a, time since we both saw each other at Automate over in Detroit, in detail. So yeah, I'm glad we met in person and now here we are. Uh... Yeah, absolutely. I think you come from a very interesting uh, career background, even though it wasn't necessarily a manufacturing career background. So, so yeah, so my background that led me to manufacturing, um, it, you know, I've always believed that, you know, curiosity is important and connecting with others is important. And my love of just stories, right? Hearing people's stories goes back to why I really got into journalism. Um, I've always loved interviewing people and finding out more about who they are and why they do what they do. So then from journalism, I, I actually left there and briefly ran a bed and breakfast, which was kind of a detour. But I often say that's where I got my... Uh, my master's uh, or my PhD in uh, in marketing and public relations is running a bed and breakfast on an island. Then after that, I uh, veered off and I did fundraising. I was a fundraiser for a culture and recreation complex, and then ended up working at an advertising as an advertising promotion manager in insurance and technology company. And then when they sold their company, I decided to go out on my own, and it was through connections. I was introduced to a president of uh, a mold making company. And well, we just started having these discussions. And next thing I was helping them out with these smaller jobs. And then they asked me to help them with a trade show. And that's really a really big area of specialty for me too, is being able to help tell and share a story both before, during and after a trade show. Um, so that was how I got into mold making. Uh, was through yeah, it's kind of crazy how like your the career just navigates to so many different paths and takes you on so many different journeys. Yeah, I think there's definitely the the career path where you do one single thing and you stick to that throughout your entire career and you, and you you gain some really strong strengths in that. But then there's also like the expert in their career where like they've taken all these different roads and like so many like weird things that add up. Like how you said, run to bed and breakfast, like. There's so many like skill sets that you would grab from that you that you would never anticipate that you would, um, you know, be able to carry on into the future of your career. And yeah, go ahead. 
Yeah, no, I was just going to say, you know, and the other thing is we're all different and we all bring different things to the table. And I think that's what's the most important and what I really encourage when I'm working with clients and when I'm even talking about curiosity is that, you know, it's important that we uh, look at the bigger picture sometimes and that we don't think that we all have to march to the same tune. And this can sometimes happen in a lot of different, you know, fields or the so-called silos is that, you know, if you have an operations person, they think they're right. You have the salesperson, they think they're right. You have the owner, he or she thinks they're right. And then you have the marketing person. Well, we are right. <laughs> but no, seriously. Uh, the, the idea though, that I, I think what I try to do because of my background in using transferable skills is I always try to encourage to listen to all of those different groups because they all bring something to the table. And I really have learned that because of all the different careers I've had, um, I've stumbled along the way, you know, I've, uh, and that's how we learn. We have to make mistakes, but what's fascinating to me coming into manufacturing and why clients often like what I bring in is because I have the marketing, the journalism background, the public relations, and I have done my research into things like mold making and molding. And so I really have learned to understand that world. And then it's about being able to help them tell and share the story. I don't, I don't have to know everything. And when I was a reporter, I used to say, I don't have to know everything. I just have to know who to go to, to get the information. So when I'm doing a story or putting a trade show together or helping put the a news release, as long as I know who to go to and get the quotes and then help them shape what they want to say. Right. Right. Yeah. I think that, uh, that's one thing that's definitely missing from, from marketing. I feel like there's, there's definitely some people that are good at marketing when it comes to like storytelling. Um, but I feel like at least when I look at PR, the PR side of things, one, I look at it a little bit more individualized It's the individual versus the company. Uh, but then even then there's like a lot of marketing where, there's not like really a, I'll say a public relations, an image that's really being portrayed, right? Like what, what's our story? How do we want to be defined? Like, like there's not a lot of that that's going on. It's like, really, it's a position that I kind of look at, uh, uh, you know, for us as a company, like we, we have a few mottos and a few slogans that we kind of go by and, and, you know, hopefully those kind of stick in the market, uh, like free humans, one more about at a time, like that's one of them. But, uh, as far as like really having like that, that PR and that brand image, like our marketing still is not there yet. We also, we're still a smaller team and we're still working towards that and, and, you know, getting the people in place to uh, have more of that, that PR and that, that public uh, type of um, uh, what do you call it? Public view and, um, and, and thought on who we are as a company, but there's, there's just a major, uh, I feel like there's a major gap in the, in the PR, in the marketing side of things. Well, there is, although I want to say you're far ahead of many. I mean, you're doing this podcast, your show, you're wearing a branded shirt. You, uh, you're showed up at a trade show. So you are far ahead of so many. Some of the people I'm working with, I'm just trying to get them sometimes to get on LinkedIn. And I often now say, if you post once a month, once a month, I suggest to start, just do some, but do it consistently. Um, and, there is, this has been uh, the greatest struggle 
is why is it that more people in manufacturing aren't out there telling and sharing their story? Some of it, I think, comes from a bit of fear, a bit of uncertainty. And sometimes I have heard this that, uh, and I know this has happened, where someone will post something or do something in manufacturing on, on a social media platform and someone then teases them about it and says something or they laugh about it. And without fail, I always say, was it a customer? No. Was it a future future customer? No. Was it a supplier? No. Oh, was it friend or family? Yes. Okay. Then why do you care? Like I, mean, <laughs> I have been teased about Gail now since the beginning, but I tell you, when I go to events now, people introduce me as Gail now. Like I actually have my name up here today. Sometimes I just have Gail now because most people, that's how they, they know me. But, um, you know, it's, it is stepping out into that spotlight, but here's the thing. I see people do it at trade shows. They'll go in even they'll spend all this time on cold calls and they'll do email after email. And yet LinkedIn and having a presence, even like showing up on a podcast show, it is the best way to get people to come in and be attracted to you as opposed to you pushing out. So, um, you know, if you're posting and, and engaging with other people, it really makes a big difference. And there is so many stories out there that, that can, and testimonials of how it works. And, you know, we, we know some people uh, in common that we saw at the trade show, right? You saw all that um, gathering together. I'm part of the manufacturing champions group, which how did I get to be part of that group? Because I showed up on LinkedIn and because I was uh, engaging and connecting with people. And um, it's, it's a lot easier than people think, but you have to start. Yeah. And it takes, it definitely takes a lot of consistency and, and to go back on like the, the thing you mentioned before with like, it can be hard sometimes, like you can get, people can try to like ridicule you. And uh, I think one thing is like people like are, are somewhat threatened. Um, and, and so they just, you know, they like to kind of poke a stick and, and like, say for instance, for myself, I personally experienced uh, a lot of pushback one, because like I, I don't have like the best, like, um, like grammar. I don't have the best grammar you could say and or spelling and i also don't care that much either so like whenever uh you know I'm, I'm posting on linkedin if there's like misspellings a lot of times i don't check for misspellings i just type the thing out and i send it you know what i mean it, it's a, a two three minute post um if that and and especially in the beginning and, and, and linkedin has changed a little bit it's relaxed a little bit but mm -hmm. especially in the beginning like there'd be pushback I'm like don't make linkedin posts if they're not gonna if you're not gonna spell your words right or if you're not gonna use proper grammar or whatever you know and there'd be people even dming me trying to say things like that and i'm like okay cool if you don't like it don't read it you know and you just kind of got to push back against it and and i think people after some time will like realize that you know you're there to stay and and you're not going to just like shut down and and, and go away you know, I have a saying, I believe I've worked in, you know, a lot of different industries. I've worked with people that, uh, you know, say the right things all the time, but here's what's most important. It's what you do, not what you say. And I was, I have learned this from many bosses. I've been involved. I've been in the union movement. I've been in a manager uh, as you know, I've had my own business traveled in a lot of different circles and believe me at the end of the day, I'll take the person who does the right thing and is, uh, genuine and you know, uh, you can have perfect grammar and be, a, be not a very good person too. So, uh, 
I, from, and like I said, I've listened to some of your shows. I listen, and I think you're doing a stellar job. I mean, it's because it takes a lot of um, strength to step out when you, if those things aren't your strengths, right? Like to whether it's grammar or whatever, but I haven't, like, it's not something that stood out to me or that I went, Ooh, like it. So I think uh, most people do exactly what you're doing. They, they second guess what you did differently though, was you kept moving forward and you pushed on. A lot of people don't do that. They feel, you know, and that old nasty word, we hear it all the time, you know, imposter syndrome, but it is, it is a thing. People start to second guess. And, and the other thing that happens, uh, I know this happens in the world of mold making, it happens in automation, it happens in manufacturing. It happens in just about every industry. People think, well, um, I'm doing this, but, and even in marketing, well, other people do this too, but no one does it like you, you, it's like your thumbprint. So when I do mark, I, I don't really have any competition that I'm, truly worried about. I embrace people, even in the circle that I work with in manufacturing, because, um, you know, I'm very niche in what I do. I'm very targeted and no one else can be Gail now. It's just me. That's, uh, uh, and I bring that personality. And here's the other thing that I often say, I say, I may not be your cup of tea, but I could be your shot of tequila. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, I think it's I think it's very dangerous to to worry too much about, you know, uh, like risk or like things like competition. Like you you definitely got to do your due diligence, but like you know, like say for we on this podcast here, we've had multiple um competitor guests on our show. And yeah. and you know, as a company does that make sense to us? No. No, it doesn't really, but also I don't care. We're not worried about it. Like, you know, one, there's just enough work going around in the world that, you know, it's competition is, is really only a thing once you're one of the big dogs. You know, whenever you're one in the top three or something like that, then you might have to worry about somebody small coming up and, and, and you know, taking some market share or, or something like that. But if you're if you're kind of just in your own lane and, and doing your own thing, like you really have nothing to worry about. Just just strive to do your best and, and things will work yeah. out. And uh, Jake Hall, who... Um, posts a lot right on LinkedIn mm -hmm. and I've got to know him and, and he talks about, you know, collaboration over competition and we really have more to learn from one another. And if you get into that, if you, if you get stuck in that place where you think I'm going to keep everything for myself and I'm not going to share anything. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a, it's not very healthy. And at some point you're going to need some help with something that's happened to me. Now I've had people on my show too, that are, you know, somewhat competitive, but I'm also working with someone now. And we've, we had a great uh, connection. We did, um, I was on the trade show floor doing some video interviews and capturing some B-roll and then handed over to him. And he put together some great videos, much better, like in terms of editing, cause that's not my strength. But one of the things I'm, I know I'm really good at is I can go up to someone and, you know, say, okay, got to do this interview about this and I can get them from, you know, instead of speaking for five minutes that we have to edit, I can get it down to, okay, I need you to say this, this, this in 30 seconds or a minute. And people just need a little help with that. And because of my background in journalism, that's where I'm able to help them to condense what they need to say in a, a succinct way. Um, and cause that's where people struggle, right? They, when you stick a microphone, so that's in someone's face, they will often, 
you know, I say sometimes they'll tell you how the watch was built as opposed to, I just need to know what time it is. So I'm good at getting the person. Just tell me what time it is. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 yeah no, and, and another thing is too, like just getting in front of a camera, like there can be like a, a, a major like mental shift. Like for me, it's like, I feel like I can, me and you can like talk behind camera, like pretty, pretty naturally and everything like that. And then as soon as like the, the live happens or, or whether it's live or not, just like turn the camera on and hit the record button, even though we can edit, like it's still like just immediately, like now I still experience like just the nervousness and like, you know, um, I guess nervousness. What's the other word that I'm thinking of? Um, kind of like a feeling of, of just being like introverted in a sense. You know, most that's very common and people are shocked. Like I do keynote talks too. And I get sometimes before a talk, like, um, I can feel nauseous. I can feel like I start usually about a week before I think I should change my whole speech. I got to start from scratch. It's so bad. And now I've been, um, I've been through something called heroic public speaking. And the other thing that, that I do whenever I'm preparing for a speech is, you know, it's about an hour of rehearsal for every minute of a speech. So if I'm giving a 10 minute speech, that's 10 hours of rehearsal and people think that's crazy, but it, it, by the time I do rehearse, rehearse, go over, go over, but it, it does make a difference to rehearse for it, but also, uh, it's completely natural to, you know, before a show like this, or before you give a talk to feel nervous, that's, that's human nature. And I often say, if you're not feeling that you're probably not going to have this, the right energy. I still, before a show, I mean, I love, like I'm the extrovert, right? Um, so I love doing shows like this. I love, you know, speaking to groups, but I still get, um, you know, nervous and second thoughts. So, um, yeah, it's natural. It's healthy. One thing that I find that I, fi I do find like through the nervousness is like, it will bring like thoughts and, and just, and just language, you know, to, to your mind that maybe you wouldn't have thought about like that, like just like, uh, you know, I don't want to go like completely religious with it, but maybe it's like words like from God or like just words that come from like a place. It's not even from your own mind because you're in this like state of just like not having an answer for something. And, and it kind of just comes to you. I also, you know, when I'm helping people prepare for shows or speeches, that's another thing I've, I've helped people with is that, um, you know, it says it is good to, uh, be prepared for, you know, whatever questions, but it's okay to say, I don't know, or let, you know, Oh, I'm not, I don't have that answer right at hand, but you know, I can drop some more information in the comments after. And I think sometimes we think we have to have the answer at the right moment. We have to be perfect every moment and we don't, I mean, it's, it's much more natural flow when you can just talk and, you know, if you forget something or you miss speak in some way, right? I mean, that's, that's natural. If something's too perfect, I don't know. I always find it's like those five-star when someone gets only five-star reviews. I'm like, eh, yeah, what's going on there? Yeah. There's gotta be something going on there. Right. But, um, yeah, it's the other thing I suggest before talks to people is that, uh, you know, to write down if you have, like when I'm doing in the past, I had to do say radio interviews for a company I was working for. So I'd always have my three key points. So I'd make sure, okay, make sure I get these points out during the interview. And then you never run out of anything to say. Although I never run out of <laughs> anybody that knows me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So like, 
whenever you're looking for those like three points, are you looking for like any like particular topics, or is it like a, like these are these three topics we want to touch on, and then like through that, you know, there's going to be like five, ten questions or. Mm-hmm. Well, if, um, say if I'm doing though an interview, someone's interviewing about an event. So there may be three things. So I want to make sure I'm talking about where the event's happening, the time of it, and, you know, the logistics, or there's maybe a, a, a focus of the event I want to talk about. So I would have those points uh, just written down. Because sometimes you get in the middle of it and you're like, oh, no, I know I was supposed to say something else, right? And sometimes even for a show. Now, sometimes here's, um, this was just for my interview. This is how... This is my show notes. <laughs> so I just, um, that was for an earlier uh, show I did. And it's just, I write down keywords so that if during the interview I lose track of something, I can look down, oh, oh yeah, I've got to ask about that. So um, yeah, it's, um, and we all have our different ways of doing things. Some people don't use notes. Some people like me, I'm, I still like handwritten for it, as much as I use technology of everything. Sometimes I like to write out things. What's your what's your experience on as far as like individuals who are like really prepared before like doing speeches and whatnot versus like those who um, kind of just go off the cuff? Well, it depends who you are, right? So if you're a very well known person and you're gonna get paid to be brought in and they're gonna just they don't care too much, you can probably do it maybe off the cuff. If you're being brought in as a subject expert or to pre- bring in a motivational speech. Usually there's a lot of preparation. And from uh, speeches that I've attended, I've attended a lot. I've helped book people. I always know the people that have done that one hour for every minute of speech. And there's a few people in my circle, Ron Tite, I met him through networking. He was kind of the reason I actually got into the whole heroic public speaking world. And I just want to say when I attended that course, it was uh, it was more than just public speaking. It was life changing for me. And it was how I really tapped into the whole idea of curiosity and where my title chief curiosity officer came from is that other people started saying, you're the most curious person, you're this, not it. And I didn't see it in myself so much, uh, but it was very helpful. So there are keynote speakers that I've heard and now to watch them, you think they just walked up there and they're talking off the cuff. You would think that they, so the best speakers, it looks like they've done no planning. They just, cause it seems to flow naturally. They're speaking and it's usually all very carefully planned and they've, they've rehearsed it so much that, um, it sounds just like they're up there as yeah, natural. And part of my, my, questioning on that is because like I'm definitely more of like a a run and gun off the cuff type of individual and so it's like I really struggle and at some point in time you will have like more of a team behind me that's doing more of like my preparation of things like really like forcing me to like hey you need to like study this Uh, especially for like certain types of like events and whatnot Um, you know I'm, I'm very lucky to like come from like the engineering background and project management and and so, like, there's a lot of things that I've just spent, I have a lot of experience mm-hmm. in and, and just, you know, spent my day-to-day doing it. So there's things that I can communicate on very easily without needing any notes, right? If we want to talk about something about robots or something about, like, AMR technologies or, uh, you know, maybe robotic welding or something like that. Like, those are all things that I can, you know, just communicate on very easily without taking much notes. However, you know, if there's 
something that that requires like more of a deliverable right like you're saying, like a subject matter expert where you know they're probably expecting some maybe some just some bulletins of some things or just um that those take a lot more you know discipline discipline is the biggest thing that i look at is, is discipline we all we all have that issue and I think it depends what type of speaking opportunity as well. So if you're doing, you know, a breakout session, that's one thing. If you're doing though a keynote talk and you're there and you're like, and some of these people like the Ron Tite, some of these other people I've mentioned, I mean, they can be making anywhere to 30 to 75,000 for a keynote talk. Right. Um, so I would say it really depends. Like I did a keynote talk for uh, women in aerospace and I spent a lot of time on that speech and I was talking because the theme was beyond all limits. So I talked about my three steps, sign up, suit up and show up and tied it into their theme. Now I did a whole, I came in and did, there was a bit of a theatrical introduction and it was interesting because I had it all planned and then I started second guessing myself and going, oh my God, this is going to look silly. People are going to, and it turns out quite the opposite. People loved it they're still talking about that because i did this whole uh came up in a uh, lab coat it was and so you know sometimes we take those risks right and it was a calculated risk right i mean i it was and it did tie into my talk but again it depends you know if i'm going sometimes I'll, i'm asked like i'm going to be moderating a panel uh it's upcoming on networking and it's going to be a networking panel about networking so through our local university. So they have two people from the university community. I'm from the broader community. And uh, I'm excited about that because I love that more people are realizing the power of networking. And I'm going to be talking about networking in person and online. There's a big missed opportunity. And that's why kudos to the people like the Jake Halls and the Chris Lutheys and the Megan Zievas, all of these people that are realizing like, there's so much opportunity to, uh, you know, tell and share stories, even what you're doing as well. I mean, this by there's so many people hungry for this information and there's so few people putting out content. So as soon as you do one thing, you're ahead of the masses. I, I can't tell you how many times I've bumped into people and I go, these companies have the best stories. They're doing phenomenal things and nope, not posting anything about it. Yeah. I think that especially for the manufacturing sector, it's like just a very dry sector for like just content. There's like hardly anything out there. There's like very little on YouTube like anywhere really. Like there's just like very little content and it's, almost easy to consume all the content that's on the market because there's just not enough of it, you know? And, you know, people say, oh, it's boring. And I'm like, I listen, I'm not even in directly in that. Like I'm not a mold maker. I'm not directly in robotics doing it. But okay, here's a great story that I shared and I've been talking about is at Automate, right? When they had that robot and it was, you went up and picked out your beer and we had fun. We did, I mean, there is a great way now they were promoting their company but what a great way to get people up there your line waiting for your beer you're looking at their brand and uh so there's one example and there was also you know how and a lot of people think of automation as just being robotics but it's like so much more even for myself i learned a lot by attending automate and 
because of my background and I, I can see things that people in the industry don't see. And you probably see this as, you know, you can see a strength of someone else that they don't see in themselves. And, uh, that's, that is why there is so much opportunity and why when I talk, I talk about curiosity because curiosity is the foundation of innovation and innovation is the foundation of so much in manufacturing and automation. I mean, um, quoting Jake again, but I mean, he had a great post today about sliced bread, you know, the, he always has these cool videos and the history of it. And he always has some trivia. And I mean, you know, the greatest thing since sliced bread, that all came about because of automation, right? That's a, um, and now that term is used to reference something new, something innovative and started with a story. Yeah, absolutely. What, what do you think is the relation between an online presence now and, and like tr more traditional PR? Well, uh, again, it may depend on the industry and what you're trying to do, but I would say in most cases, I think a blend is almost ne very necessary. Now there is cases where I'd say a very high, high, say premium brand, that's maybe just, they're going after very targeted people and they may not do social. They may do a personalized invitation, you know, those like very, and I'm talking high, high end events. Otherwise, um, you know, it's not one thing or the other. It's usually a mix. So if you're going to go to a trade show, you need to do video, you need to post on LinkedIn, because if not, you're spending all this money for your booth and you're getting everybody walking by your booth for that one day, two days, five days, and then that's it. So why wouldn't you use the opportunity to promote that you're going to be there? post while you're there and then afterwards continue to talk about your experiences and who you met. Uh, it just seems to me like uh, such a missed uh, opportunity, leaving money on the table, however you want to describe it, to not use both from a, a PR perspective. So yeah, I'm a big believer uh, in both. Some people think because I speak a lot about social media and I'm a big social media user, that that's where I put all my energy, but no, I go to in-person, I go to trade shows, I go to networking events. I still get out and talk to people in real life. So, yeah, that's like one thing that's very like fascinating to me. And part of the reason why I brought that question up is, is definitely, I think myself and like a lot of other people, uh, especially younger people coming into the industry, they've, they've, they've grown up with, with social. Right. And so I look at some, some individuals and, they're let's say they're famous for their industry right but they're not doing anything on social right they have speaking engagements they're they're doing all these things right and um you know, maybe you'd say they have like a high level of, of pr um but it, it, to somebody like myself and this younger generation it's like how do how are the, how are they famous and they're not on social media you know well and a lot of times you know, I've heard this that people when they go to hire someone for like, oh, we got to hire young people because they know about social media. And I'm like, well, they may know, but there's a difference between, you know, using social media for personal use versus how to use it for business and how to, you know, I, a lot of times what I see people and I just notice all the time, like they don't know how to tag, they don't know how to, they don't know how to put, you know, connect with people on, on certain platforms. And, you know, you have to be careful. You don't over tag and over connect to there's that 
kind of a fine line because if you know the people that always tag people it's like unless they're uh interacting with you it can it can be a little much right so so that's that's a big part of it even though like i remember when i first went on twitter and knew had no idea i mean that was my first big entry into uh social media was with twitter and um you know found it's been a great way to connect with people and i like how twitter and linkedin work and twitter's controversial right now to a certain extent but not if you know how to curate your feed and follow the right people and um you know it's a lot of times people uh complain about negativity as they are connecting and commenting negatively with other people and i always said well as in life if you're if you're going to get engaged with people and argue with them all the time you're probably the argument never ends right you just keep fighting and um i I use my scroll button a lot on Twitter, but I also uh, have met amazing people like that have been pretty much, I'd say, you know, life changing for me in terms of the cool people I met because of Twitter. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's uh, it's really good for, um, there's a lot of um, media, politicians, uh, thought leaders. Now, you know, not all of that necessarily can be good, but there are some, people that are very thoughtful and I like, I know the people to follow because they curate content for me. So they take it, translate it. And I know I can trust them that they're not going to post something that's just inflammatory and they haven't done their research. So, and I like to think that's what I try to do with my Curious Mind show is I, you know, when I'm bringing people on, it's to help people see a different perspective. So, you know, I had Jim Vinofsky on recently talking about, you know, manufacturing from a perspective of, um, you know, it's not only sort of one narrative when it comes to manufacturing, we have to maybe look at a broader picture when we're looking at anything from whether it's talking about climate change or EV vehicles, there's more to the story than what we only hear sometimes in, uh, especially in mainstream media. And it's, we have to ask more questions. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, one thing that that for myself, like on the PR side of things, it's like, how how do you go about, um, say, for instance, being like a comical person, right? So, like, like I'll just give you like the, the example, right? We'll just um, basically use myself as an example. Okay. Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> so I, you know, let's say I'm I'm a very comical person. I have a very unserious side of me where like nothing you know nothing serious and then i have like a completely serious side of me where it's like you know i just don't play about that you know what i mean like so and and the thing is like they're so very very separate from one another right so i guess this is like maybe like two different scenarios but so there's like that and and like how do you how do you manage that in in, in a public relation or or should you just choose one side or the other and then there's also the the other another thing which is i think it's completely separate but is like the automation expert versus maybe business expert well i would think what i know my limited experience meeting you is that i i think it's good to do a little bit of a blend of those because that's who you are right so i would say is when you I always ask people, if you were to walk in and talk to someone or when you're out of trade, if you're meeting people, which person is it only serious person? Does you bring in humor? And sometimes you may do with certain people more than others. 
what I found works for me. Now, my personality kind of blends in a few things because I, I mean, I post a mix of things on, on some of my social media platforms. But for me, my TikTok is my fun, like that's my, if I was going to go into acting and theater, uh, go check out my like TikTok, right? It's, but it's amazing how many people follow me there, watch me there. And I'm shocked at how many, I, completely shocked at how many people are watching on TikTok, on TikTok. So for all this talk of, oh, it's only young people on TikTok. Mm, nope. And that it's only, you know, uh, crazy people. Nope. Like there's so many people use it, uh, to, you know, scroll through and watch things. So, you know, this is, this is how I do uh, my job when I'm working with clients too, is, or with a company, how do I show the diversity of that company's personality and the same thing with individuals how do you want to be known and some people feel like they have to be serious to be taken you know seriously uh yeah if you are generally a serious person but if you like to sometimes have fun i think people may want to see that side because they're going to see you more as that real person what you don't want to do is appear on social media one way and in real life as another. So if you can find that blend and I'm, you know, this is where people say something, someone will post something on LinkedIn and say, this isn't Facebook. And I'm like, you know, people need to sometimes dial down that judgment too, because I like reading some motivational. I like reading someone's personal journey uh, because that helps me understand that person because we're not, one dimensional, I'm only going to talk about marketing and manufacturing. That That's not who I am, right? So, and most people that work with me know, like I talk about cycling. So that comes up as a conversation topic, right? About cycling and why I cycle. And uh, so, yeah. So I guess that's a the longer answer to how you could present yourself in a, and show some of that humor once in a while. I think people would like it. Yeah. Also too, like one thing that I, that I, that I personally do is I segregate like LinkedIn and, and Facebook a little bit. So like I'll, I'll keep like LinkedIn, more automation, more business, more serious, like those type of things. Whereas like I let Facebook be a little bit more like behind the scenes. Like if you kind of want to see what I have going on in my life, like as a CEO of a company or, or whatever, um, you know, a lot of times there's some things on that side that's just more relaxed. There's not energy that's put into like, you know, how is this going to be partaken, right? It's just like more the raw, this is the raw, the raw side of things, right? Um, so I think definitely platform wise is, is a good way to like segregate and be different versions of yourself yet still be yourself. I think you nailed it there. I think that's exactly a, a, the right way to do it in terms of, you know, a Facebook, LinkedIn. I mean, my Twitter is, a, and what I like for me about Twitter is that it's a little bit of everything about me and I throw in. There's a little bit gets touches upon some political topics, um, but um, then I'll talk about cycling. I'm, I do work in the area of mental health as well. So there'll be posts about that. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, you have to understand the platform and you have to understand your audience. And then what is like with anything, what is your goal, right? Are you doing it, um, you know, for what reason and what is your expectation? So uh, like my TikTok is just for fun. It is, and I even say that's really my kind of um, 
enjoyment. Sometimes I'll just goof around and do a lip sync and uh, it's, it's fun, right? And it is, it is not part of an overall part of my media plan. Now, here's the other thing, because I work with companies and individuals, I need to know how every platform works. So I'm on everything, right? And a lot of it's testing. So often that's why I say, oh, my TikTok, I got to go test out. But it has been good for doing some editing sometimes or some videos <laughs> for that. So very good. What are, what are some advices you have for somebody who's like maybe wants to be more publicly known in the industry um, if they're you know, maybe they want to grow into a career of, of keynote speaking. What are some things they can do early on in their career to kind of start building up in that? Definitely LinkedIn. Um, if you do nothing else, if you do no other platform, I pretty much with just about everyone, I can't, I'm trying to think if there's any exceptions. There might be some exceptions out there, but if you're going to do nothing else, LinkedIn is, I said, it's sort of a safer place for many people. It's more business oriented. So and it's also like your online business cards, your online PR machine, right? So uh, yes, you know, obviously it's good to have a website for sure, because website's the only thing that you own yourself, right? Any other platform, you don't own the content. So you have to keep that in mind with anything. So probably a very basic website. And right now you can get a basic website done. You know, you don't have to go spend 10, 20,000. You can, but you don't have to. And then uh, I'd say a website and LinkedIn is the best place to start. And then start. Uh, don't wait until you have the perfect headshot and the perfect everything done. Uh, right now with phones, I've done headshots for people. You can, you know, don't wait until you have to get a professional done. Ideally, for some people, I recommend professional. But uh, I think you and I both know, even doing these shows, you start. And just about anybody that's had great success doing anything, they started first and then you learn along the way. And, you know, I go back once while sometimes I see some of my early shows too. And I'm like, Ooh, <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. What, what about for those like who like don't know anything about the like speaking space? Like what should, what, should, what are like some actionable items they can do to like, I don't know, maybe they, they don't know anything about like, they just like have this inclination, like, Hey, I want to, I want to speak, uh, at events or, or whatever it may be. Um, what are some of the entry points? Well, one thing, if, if you need more comfort level with speaking, I mean, there is Toastmasters. That's sort of a, I, I do recommend that to some people, depending, some Toastmasters groups are better than others, but that's just, if you need to get comfortable, if you're really nervous about public speaking, if you're fairly comfortable there, then the next thing is to you know, even do, you know, get on some podcasts, get your name out there, get, get a bit of a platform on, you know, like LinkedIn or, and start positioning yourself as, uh, you know, an authority or knowledgeable about something. And then, um, you know, you can apply for speaking gigs at various like events. And the more, I mean, if you do have a specialized area, that's often what organizations and, you know, events are looking for, someone with specialization. Um, and then decide, you know, are you looking to do more specialty speaking or you're looking to do more motivational talks, right? And also be prepared to probably speak for no charge uh, to start. And, you know, even speak at local, you know, a Rotary Club, speak at anyone, just Get some uh, experience in cycling. We say, uh, you know, you need uh, time in the seat. 
And in speaking, you need uh, time in front of the microphone, time on the floor to speak. And, uh, and then the other thing I'd suggest, you know, you're not doing it for free. So what you do is you send, you know, you, you charge them and then give a goodwill discount. So there's ways that, you know, you want to put a value on your time and energy. Um, but yeah, that's, that's usually the best way is to just get out there and, uh, and a lot of times through networking and telling people that, Hey, I'm available as a speaker. I agree. I, I think that it's extremely important to like build up a platform, like, like a lot of like what we do and what I do personally for, for like my like brand and whatnot is it's, it's just to execute it's to get out there it's to do things it's to be on these different platforms and and even if as of right now maybe maybe the messaging is not as tailored as i'd like for it to be at least there's there's content being broadcasted to where whatever the raw version of it is with the untailored version uh people are, are gaining like they're, they're deciding whether they like like that individual or like myself i guess in this instance but they like that individual or whether you know, the, the content that they are, are talking about is content you're interested in, basically building out that following. Um, and then over time, like now you have some general base, base of, of a following or, or people who are interested in your uh, content. And then if you decide to start tailoring or start to actively go after like a speaking engagement, it then becomes easier because potentially that person may have like seen you like definitely I, I get enough exposure on LinkedIn and whatnot that if I reach out to somebody who's uh, doing speaking engagements or, or is in charge of speaking engagements, they, there's a plausibility they've, they've heard my name, you know, and it's right. just been through like producing content for like years and uh, just being on that grind content continuously. Yeah, very true. And you know, the more you give a talk, you get feedback, you give a talk, you get feedback, and you're just gonna find out. And you also know, I, you know, from when I've done speaking, you know, the stories that resonate with people, you know, when people mm -hmm. light up when they, um, uh, when they don't light up, yeah. right? And, I mean, a good, the reason I really like someone like Ron Tite is he comes from he actually did uh, comedy. And I mean, he's a very funny speaker. He's not a Medium say, but he started out in comedy and he tells these stories sometimes about when he first started. And, mm -hmm. you know, uh, you really have to be prepared to just tank when you go out and do comedy because people, you know, if you've ever seen a comedian, right, mm -hmm. you're either going to like it or not. And when they don't like it, people just cringe. And yeah. so uh, that's where he learned a lot about, uh, you know, what he says is, you know, when, when a story lands. So mm -hmm. that's a term used when we talked in, in speaking is that you know right away when something lands and when it's like cringeworthy. Yeah. Yeah. So if you, if you give a cringy speech, it's not the end. There's still another guy. No, it is. My son does some comedy, but he, he's actually very funny. I keep saying you got to do more, but he did do something in like a coffee house through the, you know, he's at university and that nice. Right. I just said, to him, I said, remember like good for you, get out there and do it. But, remember you're not everybody's gonna love everything so it was mm -hmm. someone did take a video and he said he thought he tanked i listened to it he actually did a good job because it was uh there were some things that landed some things that didn't and but the best way to uh test out material and it's really why you know it's why i love doing even you know interviews like this so i want to thank you for having me on because i'm always you know, when, by the questions you ask, and I'm learning as well. And it's, it's a constant path and journey. I would say it's, mm. it's, you know, life 
if you think you know it all, oh boy, you're in trouble, right? <laughs> so uh, I am at a place in my life where I'm continually learning and I'm not, you know, I'm not a youngin, but uh, I continue to, um, you know. It's become sharper. Like, and, yeah. Yeah. And learn more about everything. Yeah. Uh, you know, cycling is new to me. Cycling, I've only, I just started just before COVID. And what I've learned and how I connect cycling to even what I do with my work is fascinating because it's last night we were out on this ride and it was so windy. It was like crazy wind and it was a smaller group and I felt the stronger people cycling. And at one point I just thought, I just want to like turn around and go back. Right. <laughs> It was, we were fighting the wind for a long time. Normally you fight the wind, then you turn a corner. No, yeah. we were on the open road. It felt like it was never going to end, but it did. And I survived. So, and got through it. Yeah. Good experience. Yeah. yeah. One thing that, 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 that you mentioned previously was the, um, kind of like the refining of what you, what you say. I think that one's extremely important because like that, that's one thing that's really helped me help me on, on the sales side of things. So if you look back, probably even four four episodes that have released, um, there's a lot of uh, a lot of talk on like how I'm not good at sales, right? And that narrative is really starting to change, and it's a narrative that I feel like couldn't change, right? Uh, but it's it's because of like the reps of doing it, and then recognizing the stories that I'm telling of like, oh, okay. They really liked when I talked about this thing, like, you know, maybe it's, a, you know, the customer issued a PO and there was this, uh, they are, we already went through design approval, approval and, and they cut a PO against it. And now they want a change. They don't want to issue any more money for this new change that they want. Um, and it's okay. We'll do it. You know, and like that's one thing that people just like they really like gravitate towards is like just like that line i think i give it better when i'm in a in a sales in a sales meeting or whatever but you know point being is, is like we're doing this thing that that um we don't have to do necessarily we could push back and say you know hey we're, we're not going to do that but it's just like the level of support that we're giving and it's just like learning that like oh, okay these are the things that they want to hear like these type of um i guess maybe a testimonial maybe is, is a good way of putting it. Um, well, people like to hear stories as well, right? So you can throw data at people and stats and graphs. And I see this often done with PowerPoints. <laughs> uh, and often, in, you know, when people are giving talks, they just rely on, they put the PowerPoint up and then they read from the PowerPoint. Now, this is not finger pointing at anybody that does that because I'd say probably 95% of people do it. So it's very common. But as I said, just because everybody does it doesn't make it right. So I always kind of tell, I try to anybody that needs help with that. I said, it's much better that you use instead of, you know, 30 slides, be better you use really six to 10 slides and use images that, um, that are memorable. And then you tell the story. Because if you see, you know, a store, uh, a picture of say, you know, a black cat, right? Or in it, and you're talking about, could be curiosity. That's what going to resonate with people right that image as opposed to graphs that people are going to it's just and then what happens is people start to do this they they snooze um you know i was at a, a school uh with a young person and they had well there was someone that just will say used a powerpoint and the kids were like it was 
but it was the same PowerPoint they probably used across the board for every presentation they've done. The young person I had with me is about, uh, he's probably 19 now, 20. And he spoke to the kids about how at 17, he bought his first car and how he did an apprenticeship. And I tell you, the kids all of a sudden that got their attention. I'm work. I always recommend to, you know, uh, manufacturers, if you want to get kids attention, send in those young people that can tell those stories, because if we want more kids to get into manufacturing and choose that as a career, they need to hear those things. They need to hear that and what it's like, the fun part of it, you know? Um, and, uh, cause that right now, most kids think, you know, doctor, lawyer, teacher, whatever the, you know, the engineer, those are the, the main, and not that there's anything wrong with those careers, but there's a whole world out there that, uh, for kids that maybe even don't want to go on to post-secondary school. Yeah. And really like engineering is really like the only promoted job title for manufacturing. It's like the closest related promoted job title probably. Yeah. And like you said, if then if you don't want to go into, you know, a post-secondary, then, uh, then there's no, no thought of manufacturing really, you know, um, and I personally didn't even know anything about really manufacturing or automation until I walked into a college and was like, Hey, I got to do something. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I got to do something. And, uh, you know, then I got directed, you know, they're like, we have this automation thing. And I'm like, what's that? You know? Yeah. Thankfully. And that's the thing. More young people need to see those opportunities available as opposed to only, you know, we have a school system that's run by teachers who come out of a system <laughs> that encourages, you know, the uh, multi-level approach to getting through high school. Like when I was in high school, we they used the terms basic, general, and advanced. If that isn't the worst possible way to categorize kids, uh, you know, so you're advanced, ooh, you're the smart kids. Basic, like we call kids basic. I just and only because they so they weren't very good maybe in academics but they were you know and this is a big push right now a lot of requests we need to get shops you know shop uh, things back in schools and uh yeah we need to get rid of these images that because you're not uh you know an a plus student in academics that you are basic uh, we need to also celebrate that uh, I mean, it's, it's not always the people with PhD that are keeping our society running. So, yeah. And also I feel like, I, I really feel like the, like co those co high school programs are like some of the best programs because you really might catch somebody who like had zero plans outside of, uh, outside of high school, like, you know, to do anything college related or career related. Right. There's a plausibility that you can catch them through like one of those technical classes through dual credits. You might excite somebody. Oh, well, I already got a couple credits in this. Maybe I'll go ahead and carry it on through uh, into college. You know, um, so it's like if we can bring more of those like dual credited classes and more of the uh, like other technical or really just any career related like co work type of uh, programs into the high schools, I think that's mm -hmm. tremendously helpful. Well, you know, this is this is a bit of a passion of mine. I think the school system is set up much too narrowly focused mm -hmm. on one way of learning, right? And we have people that learn differently. But I understand the school system has to accommodate kind of the middle of the road almost. So kids who are exceptionally bright in terms of academics sometimes struggle, and then kids who are 
you know, struggle with academics, they're left behind, right? Mm -hmm. And so we really need to make big changes. And I think manufacturers and those in automation, they're going to have to start uh, advocating, um, you know, for changes in the school system mm -hmm. so that we can get uh, a different, you know, track system set up so that uh, we can get kids going down the road of apprenticeships and into skill trades and not only looking at um, academia as being the, the be all and end all. Yeah, absolutely. That's like one of my, my big dreams is to, to be able to make some substantial impact in, in like education sector. Really, I really want to just like as many things I can do to in, like affect um, quality of life in a positive way. Like that's the biggest reason like why, why like I, you know, I started this company. I'm in, I'm in uh, you know, I have a company in this sector. There's a lot of things I could do to make a lot more money right now, but this is like the long game that has the potential to be a, a, a much larger company and, and, and do a, many more powerful things than, than I could ever do by, you know, doing some smaller things, maybe with real estate or just whatever, whatever other uh, mm -hmm. type of career opportunity I could have took. Um, but this really gets yeah. the ability. I think, you know, one of the big issues also is like those who are excited about education, a lot of times don't have the funding to back anything up they want to do. So they're always having to go to somebody for funding. They're always having to, you know, and, and yeah. that's, that's an immediate struggle right there. Right. Whereas if you have, you know, the financial capability to do things, you can, you know, fairly immediately put things in place. As with anything. And yet on the other hand, I always say the most innovative things sometimes come when people, uh, you know, have limited budget, but I also think there's a lot of people in manufacturing, they're going to have to step up and, uh, you know, they're going to need more employees. So there's really not going to be an option because it's already too late. Like they're going to need to get in there and uh, make some change. And it's, um, I don't know what's going to happen down the road. I mean, it's not looking uh, too promising in terms of finding enough workers in for a lot of these plants. I know here we have like EV plants, we have different opportunities opening up and uh, there's not going to be enough, uh, enough staff, but for you, I'd suggest too, you might want to look at, you know, for speaking that get into like a local college or high school, mm -hmm. probably, they'd probably be glad to have someone like yourself come in and, you know, tell a story. And if you could find, I'd go through the teachers, don't go through the, the boards. Right. <laughs> so there's too many rules and bureaucracy, but yeah. teach often. Uh, I, that's when I gave that, when I went in uh, to speak at a school and I was asked, but one of the things I said, well, I'm sure they don't want to hear necessarily, like I can come in and talk about marketing, but. I said, what if I bring in a, so I brought in this young person from one of the, one of my clients and, uh, and I knew he had an interesting story, but when he talked about buying his car, <laughs> 17, that some eyes yeah. lit up in the room. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I agree. The college thing's a good one. Like I pretty much have an open invitation to come speak at, at like the local college here, the one, and especially the one I graduated from, um, so there's definitely like some good opportunity there. I've also spoke to their entrepreneur program as well as like their engineering type programs. Um, so Grab some video clips of that. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. That's great. That's great. Cause I do think these kids need to hear more from people like yourself. I mean, that's where they're going to get excited about the industry when they see what you're doing, they see your branding. I mean, um, there's, you know, there is a cool factor of this about, you know, the, 
robotics and um, and how you can make a career out of it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think we are we're a little bit more blessed to to be in like the sexy side of the sector. <laughs> I think though there isn't anything that I can't sexify. <laughs> Love it. Love it. Gail? Hashtag sexify. That'll get me in trouble. <laughs> Gail, thank you for being with us today. Where where can people find you at? Well, pretty much if you put in Google Gail now, you'll take me to uh, all of my various platforms. Uh, you can find my show on YouTube. And again, if you Google Curious Minds with Gail now, you'll find uh, my new show, Curious Minds. I also have quite a few interviews on there of my show up with Gail now, which where I talk to people who show up in the world of manufacturing. But yeah, um, and on Twitter, Gail now, like I said, Gail now is uh, she's everywhere. <laughs> Gail is in the now. That Gail's in the now. <laughs> awesome. Any last valuable tips you'd like to share with the community? I think the main thing is, you know, using you as an example is just start, you know, get out there and, you know, do something, even if it feels uncomfortable, we don't grow when we're comfortable. And most manufacturers, like if you want to grow, uh, the, the people that are struggling right now is because they probably didn't get outside their comfort zone. So, um, when you're feeling uncomfortable, you're on the right path. Awesome. Thank you very much. You're Guys, welcome. everybody else, thank you for viewing us. Thank you for, for checking out this podcast here with Gail. And uh, hopefully you go check out some of our other cool podcasts with our other awesome guests. And uh, we'll catch you in the next one. <laughs>